This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to This is A Voice Season 6, Episode 8. The podcast where we get vocal about voice. I'm Jeremy Fisher. And I'm Dr. Gillian Kays. Okay, so today we're to, we mentioned in Episode 7 the Five Days to Better Singing Teaching course. And we want to sort of expand a bit on that because people have been asking us about it. Mm. I think the first thing I want us to talk about is why we decided to transfer our five-day online singing teacher training to a self-guided course. Why did we do that? This is because we've run this course for a couple of years. In fact, since the the beginning of the pandemic, um, we ran it live online. And what we found as people went back to work, as the pandemic uh, situation started to change, started to die down, um, if it has died down, Mm. uh, what we found was that people got more involved in the work that they were doing and they couldn't commit to two hours a day, five days in a row. And so we decided to put it online so that it it is now a self-guided course. And the funny thing was, then people said, but we miss the live mm-hmm. with you. People want the face-to-face. It's really important. It is. And so we've done a bolt-on that you can add on, which gives you uh, live time with us. And you can talk about your voice or your singing teaching or your students or you know going through the course if there are any questions for you. We've added that on as well. And there's another aspect, which is the community. I mean, what was so wonderful and very precious about, which is an odd thing to say, read the pandemic, but it was very precious about those times that we were able to have, you know, with 20 people in the room, mm. the Zoom room. What I don't know, we ran it five or six times, didn't More, we? I think, yes. In the first 18 months was that sense of uh, community and collegiality. Um, and people really felt very nurtured in that space, which was important. One of the things that I think we do really well is we get a group of disparate people together, a group mm. of people who have completely different backgrounds but they all have the goal of being better singing teachers, Mm -hmm. of supporting their students more. Mm -hmm. And what they find is that they're in a community where people are very positive and empowered and empowering. Mm. And it's a very powerful situation to be in where you suddenly find that you have colleagues and friends who support you Mm -hmm. rather than the colleagues and friends who try and undermine you. I mean, I think plus, you know, what can happen when you have face to face and you've got a group of people is that if you know how to help them share their ideas, which is something that we are really very good at, then you learn from each other. And for that reason, with this course, because it is self-guided, we also set up a special platform on our Circle Circle.so community. Yeah, which is wonderful. It's not Facebook. It's not like Facebook. You can do a lot more on it. And also, we own it. Facebook doesn't own it. Yeah, where everybody in uh, in the group can go on and discuss, and we guide the discussions. It's what we call, you know, curated peer learning. And they share the joys. Yeah. Uh, they ask the questions. We give them answers. I mean, there's a lot of discussion that goes on, which is really good. Mm, they upload videos of themselves trying things out. They yeah. ask um, questions about their, their students and their clients. And so you get that sort of additional experience, which we think is super important. And we want people to have that experience when they work with us, uh, don't we? We, do, we don't want that, okay, just chucking the information at you, off you go. No. 
No, I think it's as close as we can get to being in the room with them mm. without actually being in the room mm. with them. Mm. So we thought, what we do? There's a there's very much a focus. Um, we're going to focus on day four because day four has lots and lots of really interesting stuff. We talked mm. last week about um, consonants, and that is also part of day four. But in fact, day four contains a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. What I thought I'd do to start with, if you haven't come across our five days to better singing teaching course. I'm just going to run through what each day covers. Oh, okay, off you go. Very quickly. Okay, day one, what vocal exercises actually do? Because it's all very well having these lovely vocal exercises that you give to everybody, but what do they actually do? You know, do you have a belief about an exercise which isn't really there? Mm. What's what's the difference between an exercise and a test? Mm. That's a really interesting mm-hmm. question. And exploration. Yep. Yeah. And we have real life exercises, uh, real life examples from mm. real singing teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, day two, how breathing works for singers. Breathing is such a big topic. And, and I know I seem to remember recently somebody on Facebook going, I don't teach breathing to my singers. And I'm going, mm-hmm. Oh, yes, there was. I mean, it was very mm-hmm. interesting. I think people got very engaged because um, I don't know if people have seen this. It's on a YouTube short and it's on Instagram. Right. Uh, which I called Why I Teach Breathing for Singing. And I talked about the factors that are involved. And then I noticed um, a a very, you know, nice colleague posted Why I Don't Teach Breathing. And I think we were in in exactly the same place, but going from different angles. Um, What's so fascinating is, is, and I completely understand this because... What's so fascinating is people go, breathing, breathing for singers. We must have breathing lessons. It's my breathing that's the problem. Every We must do breathing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, don't do breathing without singing. Uh, don't do breathing without phonating. Yeah, and also teaching it in a prescribed way can be problematic. So if you haven't seen that short, go and check it out. It's like, um, you know, this is the way to breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, there is never the way to do anything because everything that you do has to lead to the context that you're in we talk about context a lot so we in in that um part of the course (laughs) we're banging on already that's all right um in that part of the course, uh, we guide you to the understanding of how the respiratory mechanism works and, and the different options, and then also get you to explore different ways of your students how to manage patterns in breathing. Because in singing, it's all about patterns. It really is. Mm. Yeah. Breath management, timing, patterns, how you control breathing, all that, all of that stuff is covered mm. in day two. Mm. Day three, how the vocal folds work, um, how they vibrate, what the vibration modes are. There are four different ones. Understanding vocal registers, what they are, how mm. you deal with them, how you can highlight them if you want to. Um, and we analyse industry performances. So we actually take the performances, mm. the people who are out there doing it, we take their, their videos and we start to analyse what they do. So if you are someone who's always been bemused by the whole register conversation, and let's face it, it can be very contentious, mm. and maybe the head, chest, mix, middle thing, mm-hmm. I think you'd find this day super useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, day four, which we're going to come to in a moment, is all about resonance. So we're talking resonance shapes, we're talking tongue positions, we're talking vowels and consonants. Mapping your tongue positions, finding how vowels and consonants work on you, on your voice, in your throat, as it were. And then uh, we've also got examples of an MRI video, so you can actually see what the tongue and the soft palate are doing. I have to tell you, when people see what the soft palate does when you're doing different consonants, it is mind-blowing. 
Love that bit. Yeah, there's lots of myths about the soft palate. Do we want to talk more about In that or are we leaving? In a moment. Okay, uh, Jeremy, can I just say to them, we're talking about day one, day two. You will not be sitting there for the whole day doing your <laughs> self-guided work. I mean, you can if that's what you you've done. You can if you want to. Roughly how long is each video? Uh, whole of each day is two hours plus mm. and everything is broken down into videos between I think three and 20 minutes mm. so you can drop in drop out mm. also you don't need to complete everything in five days the point is we called it the five day course because that's what it was mm. and mm. each day is distinct from the previous one but if you want to spend a week doing day one you absolutely can absolutely and Anyway, it's a snappy title, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Um, and day five, your job, your lesson structure, the just one thing rule. So in day five, we actually talk about lessons, how you build them, how you deal with them, the, dealing with the student in the room, dealing with the person in front of you, communication skills, lesson plans, analysing real lessons, and the brain dump method, which we have actually been doing for years, but we only really refined it last year. So we introduced the brain dump method for the first time. And you've missed out something super important, which is we actually walk our talk. Yes, we do. Which is we teach two students online. We do. And they're not our own students. We've never seen them. So um, I think it's really interesting. By the way, that is important because mm. there's another level that you can get from this course, which is because we are teaching what we do. You see whether we do what we talk about. You know, you see whether it works for us or not. And so you see all of these things in process. There's a whole other level that you can go into. And I think the thing about the content of that day, day five, is that you know, you, you, you will have learned quite a lot of information. You will have also learned strategies by that point. That's assuming you do it in sequence, which you I, th don't have I to. think you don't have to. You do not have you to. You could reverse engineer and go straight in with day five in the masterclass if you wanted. It shows you application because information ain't worth much without application and without an understanding of how you apply it in your context as a teacher, which has got to include the student in the room. There is an enormous amount of information, I mean, quantum amounts of information mm. uh, out there on the internet, in, in, you know, out there in general. I mean, I'm frightened by it, let alone anybody else. I think the important thing is information is just technical or it's um, theoretical until you yourself know mm. how to apply it. Mm. You yourself know what to do with it. And I think this is, a, this is a very interesting thing. And I'm so pleased that education in general is going in this direction. Mm. Because I'm reading just yesterday about the difference between, if you like, academia and um, the, the sort of what used to be called in my, in my youth, what used to be called the technical colleges, where you learned to go and, I don't know, strip a car or do woodwork or, or you know, become carpenters. And they weren't as good as the grammar schools. That was the whole thing, is yeah. that the grammar school, if you like, was the whole academia route. And the thing about academia is that it is important, mm. it is interesting, it's fascinating, mm -hmm. but academia's mm. purpose is not to make things practical. It doesn't really occur in academia. The whole point of academia is to get you to do more academia. And to build theory. Yes. So what we're talking about here, there's, there's this nice term, isn't there? There's declarative knowledge. I know these things. And there's procedural knowledge. I know how to carry it out. And guess which one is the most useful to us as singing teachers? As teachers, absolutely. 
Otherwise, what you do is you just share a whole load of theory with your student mm. and, and they go out of the room going, wow, you know so much. I have no idea what to do. And we've seen some lovely, well-meaning teachers who've worked very hard <laughs> to gather that information Absolutely. and then they, they give it to their students. Anyway, um, I'm going to climb down off my high horse and talk about day four because mm. there's so much in day four that we want to talk about. Um, tongue positions, vowels in particular. We talked mm. about consonants last mm. week and we talked about uh, consonants and tongue twisters three sessions ago, three episodes ago. Mm. Um, let's talk about vowels. What's a vowel? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kay's mind has gone blank. You know, you t- you type it in. Let us know when. Seriously, when you think about a vowel, what is a what vowel? What is a vowel? Mm-hmm. What is a vowel? And how many do we have? And anybody who says five fails. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, if you're working with a choir group, a community choir group, and you talk about vowels um, in the UK, they will say, "Oh, it's a e i o u." And not realise that you've A... Got, you've got three diphthongs in there to o start with. And I. Oh, yes, I. I. Yeah. And, of course, that happens with kids as well. Yeah. Although kids do learn phonics now, which I think helps. Yes. So, yes, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell them. Or should we say... No, compared, no what, What's the difference between a vowel and a consonant? Go away and think about that. Absolutely not. In fact, I did tell you um, in the previous episode. Mm. So what do we do? And, I mean, you know, day four... Day four is really interesting. The Mm. the first thing we start with, because in a way, it's one of the most important things for a singer, is nasality. Mm. You know, what is nasality? Because nasality is part of resonance. Mm. So what is nasality? And and people have such different opinions about this. You know, Mm. and and the number of people that I've heard um, listening to somebody singing going, oh, that's nasal. And I'm going, it's bright, it's thin, if you like thin, if you, mm-hmm. if you want it rich and darker, mm-hmm. fine. Mm. But it isn't actually nasal, because our definition of nasal is it comes down your nose. And that means air coming down your nose. And if the air is coming down your nose, it means that the soft palate is slightly dropped or fully dropped or partly dropped. And therefore, there is literally air going into your nose. And it's so easy to test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did an entire DVD on nasality in the soft palate. Yeah, and um, well, I don't really want to keep back referring to other podcasts, but we did, when we came back from PIVOC, we talked about the newest research into nasality. We and, uh, I, you know, if you're interested to know what it is and isn't and what the new research is, then uh, go check it out. So fascinating. We'll put it in the show notes, which episode. Yeah. So the, what does it want to say about one it, One of the things Jeremy? that we do on, on, the, mm. on the fourth day, on day four, is to separate between the sound of nasality and the sound of forward tone. Mm. And if you have any form of classical training or are involved in the classical um, solo world, opera world, chorus world, whatever, Mm. forward tone is a sort of big holy grail. You know, Mm -hmm. we need the tone to come forward. We need it to be dark and rich, but we also need it to be forward. Mm. And ultimately... It's one of those phrases that everybody uses, but you go, what does it actually mean? Mm. You know, what does forward tone actually mean? So we do share that with you. Yeah. Um, And then we start talking about the tongue because one of the clues is that um, it is the tongue 
mostly, that makes the vowels. Otherwise, ventriloquism wouldn't work, would it? We demonstrated that beautifully yeah. last week yep. in uh, season six episode. You wouldn't be able six. to make all the vowels um, without moving your lips unless the tongue was the main player. Yep. And that sometimes means the singer's getting rid of tongue root tension. Yes. And that's something that is often misunderstood. You know, where is the tongue root? Mm -hmm. um, you know, is it at the back, like you see on some diagrams, or is it down here, which is, is the... Um, I'm putting my finger, my thumb under my chin, everybody, um, which is the functional root of the tongue, yeah. and understanding about that. And then starting to look at how the tongue helps shape the vowels. And we help you navigate through... A lot of people dread the vowel quadrilateral. They look at it and they go, yeah, but what does that mean? Well, we show you how to place that alongside your mouth and understand. And it's an enormously helpful tool, it really actually. Is. If you've never come across the vowel quadrilateral or the vowel box before... It's a phonetic thing. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's a phonetic language uh, indicator, if you like. And uh, it's basically, if you think of a little square, but then you put the top line longer, so it becomes a, it's not a parallelogram, it's a trapezoid. It's a trapezium, yes, the vowel trapezium it's sometimes okay, called. Great. Um, and on it are lines that tell you, they sort of, I'm going to say bisect the mouth, but it's more than that. They cut the mouth up into sections, mm, mm. Uh, the mouth space up into sections. And then it depends, and I'm going to quote, where you put your vowel, where mm -hmm. it goes on the chart or vice versa. And uh, as singers, we often will experience that as placement. We will experience things as more forward and more back, which is actually mostly to do with the tongue position. And then we're also looking at, is the tongue close to the roof of the mouth or is it far away from the roof of the mouth? Do you know what's so interesting is that I do find in general that people have, when they sing, people have a sort of tongue position that's like a default position. Mm -hmm. um, and it depends if they've had training, it depends if they've, in, in whatever genre, it depends if they have got have a good ear and they imitate people. Um, but you usually have a sort of default tongue, tongue position, and that can work very well for the genres that you're in. Mm. But the moment you start to change genres or change styles, mm. you may need to change that default tongue position. And it is absolutely fascinating when you do that. I think it can also depend on how your um you use your tongue in your habitual speech. Things like accents and dialects often have tongue positions that are part of that. And in some cases, when you move into singing a particular genre, you may need to change that. Do you know what I think is so fascinating mm. is that everyone speaks in an accent? Yeah. Everyone. There are no wrong vowels, everyone. people. Mm. There are mm. just the vowels that you use. The, when it becomes, this is a really interesting one. And mm. we, we, tend, we don't tend to use right and wrong that much because, it, mm. like, like I usually say, it's contextual. Mm. But what we do say is appropriate and inappropriate. Mm. And what you can find is that the vowels that you, or the, yeah, the vowel shapes and resonance shapes that you use in your speaking voice, in your ordinary everyday speaking, mm. may not work for whatever genre that you're singing in. Mm. And I think it's really interesting. Um, getting people, one of the exercises that we do is this reverse engineering where mm. you get someone to sing in their usual genre, and then you get them to hold the resonating shape that they're, they're using and then speak as if it was normal. Mm. And it vice is versa. So yes, yes. People, some, if you're not really very aware of what's going on, 
it can be quite tricky to work out what shapes you're holding. Mm. And this is such a great exercise to discover what it is that you do when you sing or when you speak. Mm. Mm. So discovery. And we also show them the power of the bead, bood, board, bard sequence. Yes where you are surrounding the vowel with the same consonant each time so you can really um, just be working with the tongue. And that's very helpful as well because usually when we're singing words, we will have a vowel in the middle of the syllable or sometimes it might be at the beginning, but we have a mix of vowels and consonants. So if we want to process that learning about tongue positions for vowels and how we feel the placement, we need to use words. Can I... Um, do I hope a, that made sense. It did. Uh, can, mm. can I do a quick shout out for false vowels? Because we talk about false vowels mm. in the breakout session that I do um, on day four. Uh, w, Y and R. So when, yes and red. And uh, what was so interesting is that, that completely, it's almost by accident, when we did the ventriloquism episode, which was season six, episode six. Three episodes away. Two episodes. Two? Two okay. episodes away, yeah. Season six, episode six. And one of the things that um, we discovered when I was doing the ventriloquism version of Creep, I knew about the Bs and the Ms because they are bilabial. They use both lips and you can't move your lips, so they are known problems. But the first word I had to sing was when. And the thing about a W is it's also a bilabial consonant in that you need to move both lips, but they don't close. And so the difficulty with a W is that it can close down the, the exit, if you like, the, the front of the mouth. And when you're singing a W that closure becomes more obvious. It's much less obvious when you speak because it happens faster. Um, when you're singing, you often have to sustain something like that, at least for a bit. And so we talk about false vowels because mm. they are classed as consonants, but because there's not a complete closure anywhere, you can replace them as a singer with a different vowel. And that makes them much easier to sing and much easier to sustain the pitch. The number of times I've heard singers do where, 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 and they underpitch the W. They scoop, yeah. Yeah, the scooping. And sometimes in some styles, scooping is fine, and in some it isn't. Um, but they underpitch the W because of that closure. If you replace the W with a double O, mm. ooh, when, ooh, when, it's much easier to pitch. It is also what I ended up doing as a ventriloquist because mm. I could not move my lips. Mm. You might have heard people talk about semi-vowels, and it's the same thing. It is. The, the official word for these consonants, which we're describing within the context of also being vowels, is that they are approximants. Yeah. So the airflow isn't stopped, it's not fricating, um, it's not nasal, um, it's just the flow is being slightly changed. Yeah. Um, this is one of these pieces of information that you really need to try out for yourself. Mm. So if I said to you, sing, when, 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 and replace the W with a double O, when, 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 we still hear the word, but the double O is so much easier to sing. It's so much easier to pitch, and you mm. get a very similar resonance to the vowel that you're going to go on to. Mm. So the replacement for W is a double O. Uh, do yes and you or something like that? 
Yes, yes. Now, if I do a proper quotes, proper W, a correct W. You're doing a Y. Uh, oh, oh, Y, correct Y. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, brain's gone already. Um, if I do a correct Y, actually the back of the tongue is very high. E- it's almost touching the soft palate. Mm. Yes. And you hear that there's a sort of explosion onto the vowel because suddenly I've made that resonant space much bigger to drop yeah. onto the vowel. And my sense is that you're gripping slightly, Absolutely. holding onto that yeah. Absolutely. If I replace that Y with a double E or even a different vowel that I'll tell you about in a minute, mm. Yes, yes, yes. You still hear the word yes, mm. but my double E and the air vowel that I then go on to match much better. So I don't have a little sort of push explosion. I don't have that sense of tightness. Mm. It's much easier to pitch higher. And they match so much better. And also it's to do with context again, isn't it? You yeah. know, that because we know that word, if we're um, uh, an English language speaker, we're likely to process it still as a Y. Yes. Um, what about... Hang on, before we go yeah. on, there is a, another possibility, which is actually the one I use. Mm. A double E, a proper double E, really for me is too tight and that's because I have quite a narrow dental arch Mm. um, and quite a big tongue so it's quite a problem to fit all of that in. Especially on high notes. Especially on high notes. Mm. So what I end up with is almost the same tightness that I have on a proper Y which is yes I definitely do not want to do that. There there dear. (laughs) So one of the things that I do is I go to a sort of I vowel, as in kit, I'd manoeuvre it a tiny bit. If I do you the difference with the word yes, the first one I'm going to replace with an E vowel, double E, and the second one I'm going to replace with a sort of slightly bright I vowel, I think you'll hear the difference. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. Now, it probably still sounds like an E vowel out there, but I am very definitely doing I. It's warmer. I have so much more space. Mm. I have so much more space. It's so much easier. I have so much less back pressure because of the tightness of the tongue. When I do an I vowel, I have all the space I need. Mm. Are we going to do the other one? Are. We're going to do like maybe red. Red. uh... Red, red. Okay, if I do a proper R, correct R. There's actually a lot of tightness in the tongue. There's also something going on at the back as well. All of which, again, interrupts the airflow in a way as a singer you don't really want. Yeah, And we're not talking about tapping or trilling here. We're doing a kind of a more mainstream um, British English. Yeah. Red. Yeah, red. Uh, If I change the R to an er red red it's much much easier to do again Mm. so much easier to pitch much easier to pitch higher Mm. i don't have the feeling that something is tightening in there Mm. i still get a very similar airflow between Mm -hmm. the consonant and the vowel Mm. i get a very similar resonating space so much easier try it out Mm. if you haven't come across this before it will make such a difference to the way you sing Mm -hmm. just those three consonants go off and target those consonants in songs you're working on or songs you're teaching or songs you're choir leading and uh, see what you come up with yes good
Are we done? I think we're probably done. I think that actually. was plenty. Yeah. yeah. If we uh, if we have whetted your appetite in any way, we will put the link to the five days to better yeah. singing teaching in the show notes so that you can go and check it out. And drop us a line if you've got any questions. Yes. So we will see you next time. Bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.